Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the holy scriptures, that we can look into the scriptures, look into the word, and receive instruction, receive impartation, receive encouragement, receive wisdom and revelation. We thank you for the Bible. This is not a dead book. This is a living book. And we thank you, Father God, that the author is the teacher. The Holy Spirit has written this thing, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher to lead us into truth. So right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask, we ask that the Spirit of God would minister to us, open the eyes of our understanding, show us the Scripture, give us revelation, Father, give us understanding that we can view ourselves the way that you view us and speak of ourselves the way that you have decided and declared that we should speak of ourselves. And we'll give you all the honor and give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8 with me, and uh, we're going to get right into the Word of God. Acts chapter 8, we're going to continue, like I said, talking about the, uh, the Apostle Paul, and uh, we're going to pick this up in, in verse 1. It says, now Saul was consenting, everybody say consenting, Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul, Saul, was consenting. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, Saul made havoc of the church entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The Apostle Paul was kind of a pain in the, in the backside to the early church. Would you agree? I want to read this to you in the Amplified Version. I'm not going to go long on this and, and, and explain anything necessarily in great detail, but just listen to this. Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. On that day, a great and severe persecution broke out against the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, a party of devout men with others helped carry out and bury Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously. Listen to this. Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continually with cruelty and violence. Entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. Now, Thank God that Saul changed and meant Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to read two verses here, and I'm going to read them in the Amplified for the sake of time. It says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul, still drawing his breath hard from threatening. He was still winded because he was threatening. Drawing his breath hard. Saul still drawing his breath hard from threatening and murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested of him letters of the synagogues at Damascus, authorizing him so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way of life as determined by faith in Jesus Christ, he might bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. 
Saul was not a man that you would like to meet. He's not a man that you'd want to welcome into your home. He's not a man that you would want to meet on the street and say, hey, you want to go to church with me today? Saul was not a good guy. Saul was a bad guy. Saul, as I said on Sunday morning, Saul was the guy who would come into your home, kick the door in, grab you, pull you out of your house, and threaten to kill you, and desire and approve that you should be killed. Remember the first verses that we read? Desire and approve that you should be killed, and then give scriptures while they were stoning you, killing you, of why he was right, and why you were wrong. Saul wasn't a good guy. Saul was a bad guy. Turn to Galatians with me real quick. Chapter 1. We're going to read another thing that, that Paul, now, the Apostle Paul, he'd already received Jesus. He makes a comment that I think is absolutely fascinating because he's writing a letter to Christians. Now remember, we went through this on Sunday and we talked about the epistles were written to the to the church, and the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, greeted the church as, as saints. As saints. The Bible says that you're a saint if you're a, a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, if you're born again. So the Apostle Paul, again, by the Holy Ghost, is writing to the church, and he refers to these as saints. In the 13th verse, he makes this powerful, powerful statement. He's going through and kind of giving a discord, and he says, you have heard, this is the Amplified Version, you have heard of my earlier career and former manner of life in the Jewish religion, how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively. I want you to listen to this again, because some of you may not have heard it. You've heard of my earlier career. What do you do for a living? I extensively abuse the church of the living God. Think about it. That's what his job was. <laughs> listen, it gets worse. You heard of my former manner of life, my career and former manner of life in the Jewish religion, how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with a fanatical zeal I did my best to make havoc of it. Of what? Of the church. And to destroy it. So I'm taking these few moments in the message tonight and showing you a picture that Saul's a jerk. Saul was a bad guy. But, but Saul is, is furiously and extensively with a fanatic zeal trying to destroy the church, wreak havoc of it, and destroy it. Now, it's amazing to you and I, or it should be, that Jesus would step in to this type of a person's life I mean, honestly, we really make a bad God, don't we? Because no one in this room would pick this guy to go and preach Jesus, his love, his mercy, his grace. Not only preach his love, his mercy, and his grace, but actually preach against what it was he was so zealous to teach and so zealous to preach. He exclusively, 
and extensively with a furiosity and a tenacity and, and, and this absolute reckless abandon is trying to destroy the way Jesus Christ's teaching in Christians. And then Jesus meets him on the road. And Jesus said, Saul, I got something for you to do for me. Now there are preachers now that are preaching an error of grace. I'm just going to submit this to you tonight. Why don't we just leave it just like it is? Because it's already mind-blowing. Why don't we just leave it just like it's written? Because it absolutely causes us to fall down to our knees, at least in the posture and condition of our heart, and say, my God, you are holy and you are just and you are perfect. He picked him. Look at your neighbor and say, there must be hope for you. There must be hope for you. If Jesus would use this guy, if Jesus would use this guy, there must be hope for you. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Paul's on, or Saul's on a mission to destroy and to wipe away forever the church. How many know you kick up against Jesus, you lose? <laughs> By the way, that's still good today. If you try to challenge him, you're going to lose. Amen? Turn to Acts chapter 9 with me real quick, and we're just going to keep reading, because reading the Bible's fun. We can learn all kinds of cool things. Amen? I mean, that's why you came to church, right? To interact with each other, to interact with God, and to get into the Word and get dirty, right? I mean, get down and dirty. Get clean is what I meant to say. Acts chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to read a little bit here, so, so bear with me. It says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, not the one who lied to the Holy Ghost and died, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Well, wait a minute, we just got done reading in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, the first verse, that he is wreaking havoc of the church, trying to destroy it. And here we get into these verses, and he's, this man's being led by the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know if you've got a Bible like I do, but my Bible is red letters in a red letter edition Bible. So I'm reading this. This is the words of Jesus Christ speaking to this disciple of the Lord. And he says, Saul of Tarsus, the same joker that's trying to go into houses and rip people away from their families and cast them into prison, waiting and approving for their death, is in this house. And he's praying. Whoa. Something must have changed. Well, I'm glad you're really excited about that. So he says in verse 12, And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, here's, here's the problem with the church, the universal church. And here's the problem with us. We do this to others, and we do this to ourselves. How many of you can see, the reason that I took the time, nothing was done in, 
here just because. It's not flippant. I took the time to say in my Bible, these are red letters. Jesus Christ is speaking to this disciple and telling this disciple, go to this house. Saul of Tarsus is there. He's seen in the spirit a man named Ananias coming in, putting Ananias' hands on him, and Saul receiving his sight. And then the very next verse, our response to Jesus is, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. See, we did that on purpose twice. But yet, it's human nature. If we don't get our mind renewed to the Word of God, that we cannot see people in their failures and in their past and in their mistakes, and we can't see ourselves in our failures and in our past and our mistakes. We have to see ourselves and we have to see others who have received Jesus Christ as what they are. Not as what they were, but what they are. Amen? So the Bible says here, Ananias answered 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints. Your what? Oh, the Christians. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Lord, didn't you know that he kills Christians for fun? Didn't you know that this is his job? Were you unaware that this is his career? He was there breathing out murderous and violent threats against the church. And he held on to the garments of those who stoned your disciple, Stephen. Are are you sure you've got the right guy? Let's all be quiet in this Holy Ghost Word of Faith church tonight. Jesus spoke to Ananias. and said, I got this. I just need a body. Would you be willing? What if it came about that you heard of someone who was, was violent in our county? What if it came about that you heard of someone who was a thief or heard of someone who was a drug dealer, a drug addict? Or what if it came about you heard of someone who was this or that or the other and the Spirit of the living God spoke to you and said, go and break into their situation and bring my kingdom into their life? See, this is where the rubber meets the road because there are people right in our, in our, 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 our community here and in our county that are in exactly that state and exactly that situation and and who knows if they're like the man from Macedonia crying out and saying would you send someone over here to help me just curl your toes in if it hurts I won't step on them too hard I'm almost done See, Jesus isn't going to come from heaven and go and meet that person and talk to that person. I mean, physically. He's not going to come down and walk into the room and say, Hi there, I've heard that you've murdered people. I've heard that you've been violent towards people. I've heard that you've dealt drugs or been a prostitute or been a pimp or been a thief or been a liar or been a cheater. I'm here to help you. No, that's what we're for. He's going to send us to go and do that. (laughs) 
13, he says, Lord, I've heard from many. 14, he says, he has authority now from the high priest to bind anybody who calls on your name. 15, the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He says, I'll show him how many things he'll suffer or endure or experience for my name's sake. 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, I love this phrase, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Now you've got to put the human element in this equation right now. One, I bet the last thing that the, the man from Tarsus was expecting was a Christian to come in and call him brother. And it must have been a movement of the Holy Spirit on the will of Ananias because the last thing that a Christian would say to a man who's been persecuting the church and breathing heavy because of the violent threats is, you're part of my family. You're my brother. See, I've, in, in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, I've had experiences where people have come up to me and just, they've done things. Who cares? How, haven't we all done things? And people have come up to me and said, oh, I don't know how you could ever love me, or I don't know how you could ever receive me, or I don't know how you could ever believe in me, or I don't know how you could ever... And, and I don't look at people where they are. And I don't look at people for what they've done. I look at people for who they are and what God has done. It doesn't matter to me in, in, your, in your failures and in your mistakes and in your problems what you've done in this earth and in this life. Who am I to hold something against you if Jesus Christ doesn't hold it against you? I said, who am I? Who are we to hold someone's guilt or shame or past failures and mistakes against them and say, well, you're just sidelined. You don't get to participate because you did this or you did that. Who are we to do that if Jesus won't do that to them? So Ananias went his way, 17, and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road <laughs> has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. It's so important, so important, that we let ourselves off the hook and we let others off the hook. Now listen, you have to understand because I'm not talking about just anybody in the world just, oh, that's okay, it doesn't matter what they've done. No, I'm talking about people who have come into Christ. People have received salvation. People have confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for the sins of humanity. That we're talking about these people. Someone out on the street who's living a very affluent life, maybe very well educated, maybe very well off in every area of their life, is absolutely broke spiritually if they haven't received Jesus as their Savior. So we're not talking about people, just anyone. We're talking about those who have received Jesus. We can't look at them at their mistakes and their failures. We need to see them in Christ. Amen? 
We need to see them as a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, formerly, everybody say formally. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. What did he do? He blasphemed, he persecuted, and he was insolent. At the grace of our Lord, and excuse me, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, I've quoted this on Sunday, worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He says this, however, for this reason, what reason? Because I was a blasphemer and I was a persecutor and I was insolent. For this reason, I received or obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. In other words, he's saying it this way, wrapping it up real easy. If Jesus will save me and use me, then Jesus can save anybody and use anybody. And he did it for me first so I could be a pattern. So people in 2016 could see it doesn't matter what you've done. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've failed to do. There's mercy and there's grace. Amen. I love, again, just going back to that account we just read in Acts chapter 9, I love the statement that Ananias said, but I love even more what Luke recorded when he said he laid hands on him, something like scales fell from his eyes, he received his sight and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was healed, set free, and he was empowered it's very important that we see that. And I'm not going backwards because I missed a point. The Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me in my spirit say this because there's an empowering that Jesus wants to give to each and every one of us. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't to speak in tongues. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give yourself completely over to God as a vessel that he can pour through and bring the kingdom of God. This, the evidence of receiving that is speaking in tongues. No different, you've heard me say this a thousand times, no different the evidence of you being in water is being wet. It's no different. It's just, the, it's just evident. Oh, oh, look. I see that Justin's received the Holy Spirit just like I have. How do I know that? Because he's praying in tongues. But God doesn't want to just set us free from our past and maybe bring a healing in our physical body or a healing in our, in our, in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind. He also wants to empower us to go and help other people. And then 1 Timothy comes into play, 1 Timothy 1. He says that Jesus did this so he could set me up as a pattern. I obtained mercy. So that way people could say, hey man, of Saul of Tarsus. I mean, still today, if Saul of Tarsus could obtain mercy then Brian from Durand can receive mercy. Amen. Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm preaching real good. Titus chapter 3. We doing all right? Titus chapter 3. Now we're going to get to this in a moment where we talk about 
uh, just like we did with Peter, the, uh, the enemy coming. Think about it when, when the Apostle Paul was going and writing these epistles to the church. Think about the, the, the uh, opportunity that was presented to him for guilt or for shame. You ever cut, your, you ever cut into an animal after you killed it and, and there's a scent of iron in the blood? You know what I'm talking about? I imagine, just imagining, this is speculation, I understand that. I'm not adding to the Bible. I'm simply using the brain that God gave me. I imagine, because I know how I would think, I would imagine that when I was sitting at the desk to pen a letter or epistle to the church, maybe the noise would come into my head and I'd be like, whoa. Or maybe the scent, the smell of iron, the blood. Because, you know, we think of stunning like someone grabbed a rock and went, whack. And then the person just dropped over dead. They took rocks this big and they repeat, multiple people repeatedly dropped them on people in their face area to crush their skull. You ever cut yourself shaving and you just keep bleeding and bleeding? I wonder what it would be like if a rock was dropped on your face repeatedly until you stopped breathing. It's not just a, oh, we don't like you. <laughs> Go away. Do it left-handed. Stop it. This is a method of ending somebody's life. And I can just imagine that the devil, because he's a jerk, even worse than Saul, would bring those thoughts to Saul's mind. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, you have to take every thought captive. Bring it under submission and subjection and to make it just absolutely obey the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're not going to be able to write these letters to folks. You're not going to be able to go and pray for folks. You're not going to be able to go and be used of God if you're living in your past failures and mistakes. Amen? Titus chapter 3, did you find it yet? I want, you to, I want you to see this in the New King, excuse me, in the King James Version. Some of you have the King James Version. I preach from mainly the New King James, but I use lots and lots of Bibles because I'm a student of the Bible, and we are, we are students of the Bible in Jesus' name. Amen? Listen to this statement. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, for we ourselves also, what's the word? Were. We ourselves also were. We were sometimes foolish. We were sometimes disobedient. We were deceived. We were serving diverse lusts and pleasures. We were, past tense, living in malice. And we're, past tense, living in envy and hateful and hating one another. Listen to this verse. But after that, after what? But after that, after what? After we stopped being foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving diverse lusts and pleasures and living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another, after we stopped that, well, what happened? Jesus Christ was interjected into our life. And we're no longer the people that we used to be. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Lord knows we wouldn't go very far. If our works of righteousness were gas in an automobile, we'd get it started. We wouldn't be able to go anywhere, just get it to run. Isaiah said it a little bit differently. He said, all of my righteousness is as washing rags, filthy rags. The language there is washing rags. It's still, it, the Bible is very plain about this in the Old Testament, that the, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish people had to enter into the temple, and they'd enter into someone's home, and then they'd have to wash their bodies. And Isaiah is saying, my righteousness is just about as clean as the washing rag. Not of righteous works which we have done, but according to his mercy. Everybody say according to his mercy. According to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace. You know what the word justified means, right? Declared innocent. Declared innocent. So after being declared innocent by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm going to say that again just because it's real good. Justified, some of us have heard it say this, this way, but justified is just as if I never did. But justified literally means that we've been declared innocent. Guiltless. Not guilty, guiltless. So after we have been declared innocent, how did that happen? By his grace, we should be made heirs According, according to the hope of eternal life. I'm working to a point here. You doing okay? Yes. First Corinthians chapter 15, we read this on Sunday. The Bible says, Paul makes this statement. He said, I labored more than they all, but not me, the grace that was in me. And his grace toward me was not in vain. His grace toward me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, his grace toward me was not in vain. Amen. How about you? How do I make it to where it's working out in my life that it's not in vain, that it was for no reason? Well, I go out and become a fisher of men. I go and tell the untold and love the unloved and help those who are in need. Amen. I said amen. Just like Peter, you have to know, again, the enemy would bring up these lies and bring up these past experiences that he had had and bring up these past failures. And, and even with the Apostle Paul, because really the only violence that we see recorded with Peter was cutting off the ear of one of the soldiers. But Paul was there witnessing people. He was in the house grabbing people. I mean, if I walked into your house, kicked the door down, grabbed your kid, or grabbed your... Imagine if you're... You're not a Christian. I just grabbed a family member of yours that was a Christian, violently removed them from your house. I imagine you'd just be like, no noise, no screaming, no shouting, no crying, 
Just, oh yeah, go ahead, take them. Because after all, the mink shall inherit the earth. Right? Absolutely not. In today's world, they'd be having lead thrown at them from a gun real fast. Right? Imagine that, that just like Peter, that the Apostle Paul is dealing with this, but he's, he's on purpose taking those thoughts, bringing them captive, and forcing them through, forcing them through like a press, the authority of the word of Jesus Christ. And if they don't work, if it doesn't come out, then he just gets them out of his life. He takes them captive. If they don't work through, then they're just discarded. Well, we have to do the same thing, folks. I said, we have to do the same thing. We have to take those thoughts that come up against us when we think about ourselves or somebody in our family. Isn't it interesting that at times, if, if we're not careful, we can get jealous of people that are doing something for God and then all of a sudden play God and say, well, pfft. after all, they were such and such. And get over yourselves. Don't be righteous in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. If it weren't for the grace of God, that's the same condition that you were in. Are you here? Praise the Lord. Think about, again, that violent scene and just having to overcome the sights and the sounds. But by the grace of God, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, you and I are able to overcome any insecurity of our past, we're able to press in and lay hold of what Jesus Christ has laid hold of us. We really can obtain mercy. Amen. We really can obtain grace to help in time of need. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're, we're, we're getting close. You doing okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Read a couple of verses here real quick. <clears throat> Now, I don't know if you're of the persuasion of highlighting and marking and circling in your Bible. My opinion is, is that you should be. And if you never have, have I got a good one for you. This would be the one. I can give you about 10,000 other ones, but this would be a good one, a good place to start. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And all the religious people said, Amen, praise God, get them. You know, there are people who are without God that live a holier lifestyle than some people who live with God. He's talking about being dead in sin and they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you not know that the unrighteous shall not, will not, they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we look and say, then how are we going to get to heaven? I mean, I, I've been drunk before. 
or, or I've, I've done this before, or I've, I've done that before. How am I going to get to heaven? Aren't you glad there's more to the story? He says, in such were some of you. Were. Were. Now listen, this may be the most powerful verse in all the New Testament. But you were washed. You were washed. <laughs> you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And the Apostle Paul just hammered that thing. Idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkards, revilers, homosexuals, sodomites will not. You're not going to. You are not going to. He said, and some of us were these people. We did this stuff. How many are thankful for verse 11? Amen. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Close your eyes, if you would, with me. Say this out loud, seriously. Just say this. Say, I am washed. I am righteous. I am innocent. I am holy. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Say it again. Let yourself hear it. Say this. Say, I am washed. I am righteous. I am innocent. I am holy. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, folks, it can be something as recent as this morning. It's still in the past. It could have been on the way to church. It could have been while you're in your sermon and you're adjusting. It's in the past. If you've confessed it to God, I'm guilty of it. I did it. I'm guilty. Confess to God. I confess I did it. I'm guilty. I know it wasn't right. I repent to you and I ask you to forgive me. And then he did. Then he did. And then you were washed. Amen. You were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord. The devil wants it, us to identify with our sin. He wants us to identify with our failures. He wants us to identify with our mistakes. He wants us to see us as envious and as liars and as revilers and as drunkards and as homosexuals. But God is sitting there saying, wait, 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 I did something for you. I did something to change this in you. I did something to remove this from you. And God's asking us to look and to forget those things which are behind and press on to the things that he has for us. Jesus has become sin for us. Think about that phrase. Jesus has become sin for us so we could identify with him. He became sin for us. If we continue to identify with our past, with our failures, listen to this. If we continue to say, well, I'm just a drunkard, or I'm just an envious person, or I'm just a revelry person, I'm just this or that or the other. Jesus became sin 
so we could identify with him. And if we continue to identify with our past, then the death of Jesus Christ was in vain toward us. Because it's done nothing to remove from the record what we used to be. It's done nothing to remove from the record what we have done and committed. Now, seriously, you might say, well, that's blasphemy. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that if we pretend that we're still in this condition, then we are saying that it's true. That the blood of Jesus Christ was in vain for you. That Him becoming your sin and being punished on Calvary's tree by God Himself was to no avail for you. For some reason, His blood was not powerful enough to remove that trash from your life. Well, pastor, we're just talking about, I mean, I was just kidding when I said I wasn't a saint. Yeah, but God isn't when he said that you were. Maybe I'll say that again because it was fun. Well, pastor, I was just teasing. I mean, you know, after all, we're not saints, but, but God wasn't messing around when he put Jesus into a body and he put him on the cross. God wasn't messing around when he called you a saint. You want to talk about jesting, we should stop that if that's us. Well, I'm just no good. I'm just stupid. I'm just unholy. I'm just unworthy. I'm just flawed. I'm just falling short. Stop. You were, but now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you've been justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Jesus took on that cross our sin payment, excuse me, our sin punishment so he could pay for our sins and cause us to be something we never were before, heirs of God according to the hope of eternal life. He took our condemnation. He took our guilt. He took our judgment. He took our punishment so that we, we could take his holiness. So that way we could take his innocence. So that we could take his justification. His righteousness. His freedom. You've heard people say, I'm sure, that the cross was the great exchange. Well, how great was it for you? If you're stuck, dominated by your failures in your past... It truly was a great exchange. And we're to lay all those things down and walk away from them. And say, I have been washed. I have been justified. I've been declared innocent by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? He took the sin punishment as a sinner. So we could take our place as sons and daughters. He was rejected by God. Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, he did that for a reason. He went through and endured the cross, despising the shame for a reason. Forsaken by God and and removed from his presence so that way you and I could be accepted. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. He did it for lost humanity. For sin-sick, sighing, dying humanity. So that we could be accepted in the beloved. 
That way we could have a place in the throne room of God. So that way we could have a position as sons and daughters and honor him and worship him and live our life as best as we can with his power enabling us to bring up our families and influence our communities and be a part of our church and be a part of what he's doing. He did all these things so we could let go of the past and lay hold of the future. Amen. Turn to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Just to give you a little bit of a backstory, in Acts chapter 10, the Spirit of the Lord appears to Peter. He's, he's praying at the sixth hour of the day, and he's at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. He falls into a trance, and again, I want you to see, just because it's important, Jesus spoke to him and said to him, Peter, rise, the King James says, slay. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. He saw a sheep bound by the four corners, and it fell from the earth. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Peter, get up from where you are, slay everything that you see, and eat it. And Peter's response was, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean or unholy. I love the response of the Lord. Chapter 11, verse 7. I heard a voice saying, now Peter, so this, this happens, this miracle takes place. God uses him mightily, and then Peter's called onto the carpet by the Jewish Folks, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. The, the Jewish, uh, um, the disciples, the, the church leaders brought him out and said, Dude, what are you doing? You're hanging out in the Gentiles' house, and everybody knows it. So Peter's giving an account. That's what this is. Acts chapter 11 is an account of what took place in Acts chapter 10. And he's standing in front of the, the council of the Christian leaders. And he's telling them this is what happened. Verse, verse uh, 7, he says, Then I heard a voice saying to me, notice the color of the letters, Rise, Peter, slay or kill and eat. They're red letters. Jesus is talking to him. Eight, he said, I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered back to me from heaven and says what God has cleansed what God has cleansed you must not call common Jesus spoke to Peter and told him to rise to kill and to eat Peter responds and says not so and Jesus responds back and says do not call unholy do not call uncleansed or common what God has cleansed. Now, I'm just going to have fun with this for a moment. And you can say, well, you're taking that out of context. Let me just help you with that. So did Peter, because that has nothing to do with going to Cornelius' house. But yet, he went to Cornelius' house anyway. So nanny, nanny, boo-boo. I'm going to tell you this straightforward in love. And every single person in this room struggles with this, just like I do, just like the rest of us. We all struggle with this. But this is a command from a just and holy God. And if 1 Corinthians is right, <laughs> 
if 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 is truth, then we have been washed. We have been cleansed. We have been declared righteous. We have been declared guiltless and innocent. And if 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 is true, then we must stop calling ourselves unholy, unrighteous, unworthy. Now you're going to have to just deal with that. You're just going to have to just, there it is. This is like, I didn't write it. I won't apologize for it. If this work of the Lord Jesus Christ has left any one of us in our sinful condition of being ruled and dominated by sin, then the work of Jesus Christ was incomplete. But he didn't. He didn't leave any of us in our sinful state. Amen? He cleansed us. If God says I'm clean, then I must be clean. If Jesus' blood hasn't cleansed me, then I am hopeless and there is no way for me to be clean, to be free of guilt, to be free of shame, to be rid of my past and my failures and my mistakes. But because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and has redeemed me and has forgiven me, and that stuff is buried with him in the ground and I walked away from it I was raised in a new condition of life raised with him to walk with him to talk with him and to fellowship with him amen people will get so upset when they hear someone say well praise God I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and they sit there and say well that's blasphemy how can you say that you're imperfect but how can we say anything other than that if God has said that you're clean do not say you're unclean. You think this is just talking about eating lobster or shrimp or pork? This is talking about you and me. This is talking about anything. Did God say that we're cleansed? I already showed you that he did. I set you up. It was kind of intentional. Aren't you glad? So if I've been washed and declared innocent, I need to shut my mouth and not say that I'm not. Well, I thought you'd be happier than that. But, but these people who say that that's blasphemy, they may not know it. I'm not saying that they're bad people, but they're in direct contradiction to the Word of God if they say that we're unholy. They're in direct contradiction. Let's just make it real for a minute. We are in direct contradiction to the Word of God. I'll make it even more real. You you're in direct contradiction to the Word of God. If you say you're unholy, but He's made you holy, someone's wrong. It's not Him. If you say you're unrighteous and He says you're righteous, somebody is wrong. Hello. So we're contradicting what God has said in His Word. Amen? False humility most times will cause us to contradict the word. False humility, not humility. False humility. It'll cause us to contradict the word most of the time. Again, I want to say this. I know that the hour is late. I'm conscious of that. Thank you for bearing with me. I believe that this is important or else I wouldn't be saying it to you tonight. 
False humility is going to get you into trouble because it causes you to contradict the word. Well, you know, I'm really not a saint. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really not holy. Well, I'm really not blessed. I'm really not righteous. Sunday we said we've got to start saying of ourselves, over ourselves, what he has said about ourselves. We've got to start saying about ourselves what we are. The Bible says that if you honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase, and the tithe, that your barns will be filled and your vats will spring forth with new wine. That's what the Bible says. Honor the Lord with all your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. Is that the word or is not not the word? So if you say, well, I'm not blessed because you know, I don't have $100 in my pocket tonight. You need to stop saying that because God has declared that you're blessed. And by the way, being blessed has nothing to do with how much money you have in your pocket. There are people in this room, this, this is really awesome for me. Um... There are people in this room that I know personally that have seen Jesus. Jesus has appeared to them. That's, that's awesome. I believe you. Absolutely believe you. I'm going to tell you a story real quick, just real, real quick. Kenneth E. Hagin talks about this all the time. Uh, well, not anymore. He's actually hanging out with Jesus. But, but when he was here on earth, he said that he saw the Lord and he looked him and he remembered his eyes that they were described, he said, as as pools of living love that seemed to go on for miles and miles and miles. And he said that in this moment, Dad Hagen looked Jesus in the face. He was so overwhelmed with the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and his love and his mercy that he fell down on the ground and put his face down as low as he could get to the earth. And he, he got down... So he couldn't just look upon the Lord. And he said to the Lord, Lord, no one as unworthy as I should look upon you. Now, I wasn't there, but Kenneth E. Hagin said that the Lord, the master spoke to him and said, get up on your feet. And he stood up on his feet. And he said, look at me in the eyes. And Kenneth Hagin brought his gaze up and met the eyes of Jesus. And he said, I have made you worthy. I've made you worthy. See, that's not the Bible. It's not a Bible verse. Well, we can't be moved by people's experiences. Well, we, we, we can if they match the Bible. Well, you may say, well, that's blasphemy, that Jesus would say to a mere man, well, you're already in trouble, because the Bible tells us that we are not mere men and that we shouldn't conduct ourselves like mere men. Well, you mean to tell me that Jesus would, would have audience with, with a mortal? Well, we've already put on immortality. We're just waiting to be pulled. We've been made in his similitude and in his likeness. We must stop talking about what we did or our failures or our, our addictions or our problems. And because of those, putting a badge of unholy or unworthiness on us, we need to start talking about the reality of God's grace. And like I said before, I mean, it's so amazing. Let's just leave it alone. But when we stop, 
give way to those thoughts and say, well, I'm unholy and I'm unworthy and I'm no good and I'm falling short, then we're insulting grace. We're insulting grace. And God's grace is amazing. And we don't want to insult it. And, and the Bible tells us, and we're not going to get into this tonight, but the Bible says we can get into a point where we begin to frustrate it. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to frustrate his grace and then be given over to a reprobate mind or be given over to destruction of the flesh. We, we don't want to cross that line, so we've got to be very careful that we, we stay within the boundaries and say, hey, it's your grace that's made me right. It's your grace that's set me free. It's your grace that's made me whole. It's insulting to the power that's in the blood of Jesus. Are our failures so powerful that the blood of Jesus can't wash them away from us? Well, the answer to that is no. Amen? What God calls clean, we cannot call unclean. What God calls righteous, we cannot call unrighteous. What God declares is, is holy and redeemed, we, we just got to be very, very, very matter-of-fact. We are who he said. The most humble a person can be is to boldly declare that we are exactly what Jesus Christ has made us. That's the most humble that we can be in this life, is to just boldly say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, not of works of righteousness, which I have done, but because he loved me. Amen? Did you get anything out of that tonight? Father, thank you that you'll seal this truth in our spirits and that we'll walk away from these few teachings with a new, renewed vision, a restored, maybe in some areas, vision of what we are and who we are. We are overwhelmed by your mercy. Lord, I know this of personal experience, that there are times where I'm just battling and dealing with my past failures and my past mistakes and stupid things I did or stupid things that I said. I just thank you that you see me washed in the blood of Jesus. You see us cleaned. The Bible speaks, Father, of our being in heaven with garments and robes that are not defiled, but that they're white. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect and we've never made a mistake or never failed or never sinned. That simply means that we've washed our garments in the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of his blood, because of his mercy and his grace, they have not become defiled. They have not become dirtied. We just thank you, Father, tonight for what we have become. We've been twice created by you. Twice made in your image. And I thank you that you have counted us worthy, enabling us to be put into the ministry, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would be imploring the world through us to be reconciled to God. We thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, your forgiveness and your love. And thank you, Lord, that we are free from our past. In Jesus' name.